Just ahead on Black Issues Forum, a leaked Supreme Court brief signals an end to Roe v. Wade and a rallying cry for women's rights advocates. And activists in Elizabeth City tell us what's changed one year after Black Lives Matter protests erupted over the killing of Andrew Brown Jr. by deputies. Stay with us. Welcome to Black Issues Forum. I'm Deborah Holt-Noel. A leaked Supreme Court brief has set pro-choicers and women's rights advocates in a tailspin, and we will talk about the implications with our panel in just a moment. But first, we revisit an incident in Elizabeth City that captured the eyes of the nation just one year ago. It was April 21st when Pascatank County Sheriff's deputies attempted to deliver a warrant for the arrest of Andrew Brown Jr. on suspected felony drug possession. When Brown attempted to pull away from the scene in his vehicle, deputies fired and Brown was killed by the bullets to the back of the neck. Investigators later determined that the shooting was justified, but leading up to that, there were nightly Black Lives Matter protests and demonstrations, and in fact, some have continued to this day. Since then, what has happened? With us now are Ashley Mitchell, an attorney with Forward Justice and member of the newly established North Pascatank City North Pascatank Citizens Advisory Council. And we also have Pascatank County NAACP President Keith Rivers. Thank you both for being here to provide us this one-year uh, update on what has happened. I want to open up with you, Keith. Um, in the year, what is different? What has changed? Oh, whatever. Thank you for having us. Um, we can see now that a lot of the community who was not engaged in the political process and the running of the city have now become engaged. But there's an old saying that the, the more things change, the more they remain the same. And many things have remained the same here uh, in Elizabeth City. Uh, we've seen a lot of forward progress without accountability. Uh, those deputies that fired, uh, that murdered Andrew, get up and go to work every morning on our tax dollars. Um, there has been no reprimand as to our understanding of those deputies. However, we, the county commissioners have uh, formed a citizen advisory council, which is a move in the right direction. Um, we, we live in what I like to call the media desert, where uh, our whole media base comes out of Virginia. Um, so we've seen a a uh, young man that has so catchy news seven is what he calls it. And he's reporting the news live as it comes. So those are some changes that have been made at the community level. And, and if I can just note the resilience of this community is mirrored every day in these protests. Um, we, this community has done what no other community has done during this time under these circumstances, which is nonviolently continue the protests and not allow Andrew's um, name to die in vain, but to continue this journey to justice. And our hearts always continue to go out to the Brown family. Um, and we will continue this fight. So um, there have been a lot of changes, but a lot of things have remained the same. Thank you for that update. And I want to bring you in, Ashley. Um, how would you describe relations between the community and the sheriff's department? And please feel free to establish the difference between that and the police department. 
Got you. Um, so first of all, thank you so much for uh, inviting me to the show and having us here um, to speak about this issue. It's super important um, for us to continue to raise this issue um, both statewide, nationally, just so this does not get, uh, get forgotten. So Elizabeth City doesn't get forgotten. Um, but the relationship between the community and the sheriff's department um, after Andrew Brown, there's tension. Um, during the whole situation, there was no communication really between the sheriff and the community itself. When the community was broken, um, there was no words being said to the community to comfort, to, to sympathize or any of those, um, th those things for the community. So the community was, was broken. It, it felt anger, it felt sadness, um, but there was no answers. And I think that's what really brought the tension between the sheriff's department specifically and the community. Um, as far as the police department, there is a different dynamic um, and Mr. Rivers may be able to, to speak higher to that dynamic because personally I live outside of the city so I don't have as much connection with the police department. Um, but as far as the police department during Andrew Brown's situation in, in, in particular, um, they were cooperative to, to the most, you know, to a certain degree compared to other areas um, that have had situations where black lives were lost due to the hands of police, um, police brutality um, and, and sheriff accountability. Um, well, I mean, it, it was a different dynamic for Elizabeth City per, uh, per se with the police department than it has seen nationally with other situations. And to that point about this being um, a valuable, I mean, every life is valuable. And we're talking about, you know, Black Lives Matter. There were many protests under that banner at the time. But oftentimes the argument is, well, this is not necessarily the perfect case under which to um, protest for Black Lives Matter because there was a warrant being served, because of the history of, of the victim. Um, what would you say about those arguments around, well, you know, let's consider whether this was a case of Black Lives Matter because, after all, this individual had a record and he was trying to flee the scene. Is this, is this for me? This yeah, Ashley, okay. and then I'll hear from you, uh, Keith. Thank you. Okay. Um, it's, it's definitely an issue of Black Lives Matter. Um, regardless of this man's past, regardless of the acts that was taking place by this, that's, that's irrelevant. What is relevant is the fact that this man was not given the opportunity to receive his due process um, as any American citizen is supposed to receive in this country. Um, so with that, yes, it is a Black Lives Matter issue. This man was killed in broad daylight and was laid flat on his face after the fact, was not given any, you know, any, any care, any, there was no remorse for his life. His life mattered. And because his life mattered and because he was a Black man whose life was taken wrongly, it, it is a Black Lives Matter issue. And it hasn't ended. There has been a recent incident similar to that where um, an individual was was shot by law enforcement um, face down. Keith, you know, how would you respond to that question? And, you know, um, I know that one of the issues during the during the time of the Andrew Brown, you know, protest was um, full disclosure of video cam uh, footage and disclosure period. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, um, this was also within 24 hours of the conclusion to the uh, George Floyd uh, verdict, and I hate to use joke, but Mark Shevin verdict that happened less than 24 hours later. Here we are in Pasco Tank County. You know, what need do we have for a SWAT type tactical unit? 
prior to this, serving a nonviolent warrant. Um, it's important to note that they used a high-powered rifle. The bullet actually, one bullet actually went into a home of a resident across the street through three walls. We were also within a school, 100 yards within, within the distance from a school on a Wednesday morning. So the, the thought pattern, you know, what type of thought pattern were you using when you went to serve a nonviolent warrant? And as Attorney Mitchell said, what, whatever he did prior to April 21st is not what the issue is. The issue is due process. We've had a lot of people say, well, you know, he was an alleged uh, 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 drugger. He had this type of past. He had, well, and then you are having other shootings. You know, we don't see you all marching in the streets when other shootings are going on in the African-American community. And, and we respond this way. Anytime there is a shooting, an incident involving violence, we want the perpetrators brought to justice. And many of those shootings, we did not know who the perpetrator was. So there was no marching or protesting. However, we know who murdered Andrew Brown. We know that those sheriff's deputies fired those weapons. We, we can see the amendments that have been made um, to the $30 million lawsuit that has been filed on behalf of the family, where there are reports that uh, deputies that were firing their weapons are on camera removing bullets or altering their weapons, and they are still at work. And I think, Deborah, that is so important to understand and how we feel as a community that our tax dollars, my tax dollars every day, go to pay those deputies' salary. And the only thing the sheriff could say is that he was going to institute more training. Hmm. We have a district attorney that failed to call for a special prosecutor. This is a um, familiar story and an unfortunate story, and there's always the request for accountability at the end. There has been the development, thanks to the work of a task force that you, you were involved in, um, of the Citizens Council. What, what help or what improvement do you expect from this Citizens Council? What's it expected to do? Um... This Citizen Advisory Council is, is there to be a liaison. It's very unique in its structure because it the 13-member uh, council was not appointed by the sheriff. There was a task force that consisted of myself representing the NAACP as well as the county manager and Major Aaron Wallio from the sheriff's department. Uh, we built this from the ground floor, um, looking a lot at one at from Richland, South Carolina which has the same type of task force. Um, and theirs was created before a critical incident. We are creating one after a critical incident. But the uniqueness of it is, is that it does not fall under the sheriff's department. It is actually under the county commissioners. And we've had a police to peace study, which is an outside organization that came in and did and utilize small focus groups and individual uh, interviews within the community to find out exactly how the community wanted to be policed. And their report was released and recommendations to their findings. So this CAC or Citizen Advisory Council is there to be a liaison. You know, they will hear complaints. We now just, uh, our county commissioners voted five to two 
to ask North Carolina legislatures to give uh, special legislation to allow uh, citizens or this review, this advisory uh, council to review citizen appeals from investigations within the sheriff's department. So this group will have a different kind of power. And Ashley, you have been assigned to this um, group. Tell us what, what your expectations are and how you intend to function on that um, CAC. Um, so my intentions or my expectations for this 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 review board or this advisory committee um, is to just help this community become whole again. Um, help this community have an outlet, a, a space where if there is an issue that they can bring it. Um, hopefully we will work together as a team. I'm excited to work with this amazing group of, of people um, and, and, and come up with a solution to problems as they occur. And hopefully try to eradicate problems before they even occur. Um, Absolutely. Is the goal, Certainly. Is the goal. Ashley Mitchell, Keith Rivers, thank you so much for uh, being so candid and for being on the show today. Thank, thank you. you. Setting the tone for news coverage lately was a breaking story by Politico with the headline, Supreme Court has voted to overturn abortion rights, draft opinion shows. An initial draft opinion on Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health, written by Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito, was leaked to the press and reveals language clearly arguing to overturn two seminal Supreme Court decisions that for decades have sealed federal constitutional protections of abortion rights, the 1972 Roe v. Wade and 1992 Planned Parenthood v. Casey. Justice Alito wrote, quote, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start, and we hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. Let's hear from today's panel. We've got Professor Lamisha Whittington of Advanced Carolina, Shemeca uh, Stuart Isaacs of I Am Brilliant, and attorney Nisha Williams, legal director at the North Carolina Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Thank you all three for being here this morning. I want to start off with you, um, Lamisha. When you hear this opinion, especially the latter part, what concerns you most as a black woman and for black women? Yes. So my concern for black women is the continued attack on our health care options. Uh, the reality is nearly 14 percent of black women are uninsured in this country compared to 8 percent of white women. And so because of some of those disparate impacts, we have the highest maternity right mortality rates that means that our babies of course die due to many reasons right it's uh chronic health care because we're exposed to environmental contamination and pollutions is the lack of access to health care the closing of rural hospitals we've had nearly 10 closed in north carolina alone in the past decade we have 30 percent of our rural hospitals are at risk so our communities are already impacted by the lack of health care access and health care options, and this only further to, uh, divides and removes options that we have. And the other thing that really concerns me is the fact that in North Carolina, abortion is still legal. Um, and so that's the reality. And there is also a, a law that we have that allows for physicians and requires them to make known um, actual health care information to women who come in for abortions. So that actually means uh, telling them what their rights are legally, physically. They actually get to uh, have an OBGYN check actual care that isn't even provided by health care access because we don't have health care. And so that's what's at risk is limiting those options even further. Thank you. And I want to pull you in, Nisha, because each state is going to possibly have the power to make this decision. What do you see unfolding in North Carolina with regard to this right to choose? 
Thanks for that question. So right now in North Carolina, we do, because the law is not yet um, been actually overturned, we currently still have um, the right to an abortion in North Carolina as it was prior to this leak. However, if the ruling does come down, as indicated from the draft opinion, um, there are potential consequences for this. Currently, we have on our laws a, um, a law that states that viability occurs around um, week 20. And so right now in North Carolina, we're concerned that if this law is overturned, that there may be limited access to abortion in North Carolina as a result of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Shemeka, what are your thoughts when you hear about what, what is happening um, and the possible um, disappearance of Roe v. Wade and that particular protection? What, what, what concerns you most? Uh, the things that come to me most immediately is thinking about what transpired from the Hyde Amendment to what transpired with the Helms Amendment and what this means specifically for North Carolina and where our power lies. Uh, we see with these uh, ramifications of being able to control our body autonomy in writing and policy in legislation, we are losing our power. And until we can come up with something in writing to protect our policy, to protect our future babies, uh, we are at the helm of whatever the majority is. And we're at the helm of whatever the census is for pro-life if we're not creating something as an alternative to change this language in writing and policy. Well, you know, Lamisha, you know, one of the things that stuck, that kind of stuck out for me in some of this language was, you know, the opportunity for women to go and um, protest for and agitate for um, their rights from some other legislative body when we ought to not have to do that. And also, this is not a, a legislation that would only apply to women um, over um, a single thing like, like abortion. Uh, if, if, if the government or if a governing entity um, has to be appealed to so that we can decide what we do with our bodies, whether that's um, making a decision about a pregnancy or even getting pregnant. That, that's where my concern lies. And I wanted to know what your thoughts were about, you know, just what appears to be the, the masculinity right. of this. That's right. We've already seen examples of federal law being gutted, right, and then the disparate impact on black and brown communities. It happened when we were gerrymandered. And when we were gerrymandered, it was because, again, we've been gerrymandered over the years, but here in North Carolina in the last 10 years, it was the worst we've ever had in the history of the state because federal law shifted to allow states more power to determine whether they were racist or not. And guess what they did? They became more racist. So we already have an example of what happens when federal oversight is removed, which is what would happen with Roe v. Wade, right, being overturned. It's, it's saying the states, as you said, Deb, has more authority to determine more control over the people of its state. And if we're already in a gerrymandered state where our votes are already struggling to be evaluated, guess what? It's going to make that hill a lot harder to actually traverse when we're trying to convince the same folks who have stolen our voices to say, now you're trying to steal our rights and what we're doing physically with our body. We've already seen proof of that. So that's what's happening. And when we talk about the disparate health impact in North Carolina, we have to be very clear that we are already in food insecure zones. We'd be very 
make clear that we are already in contaminated water. We are already in impacted, polluted areas where they already don't value the body of everyday workers. That's why they're not supporting black women who are working every day, 50, 60 hours a week at Burger King or McDonald's or being a health practitioner or, or, or a janitor. They don't have access to health care because they work too much, make too little, but they work too much to actually qualify for health care. These are the issues. So this is the last thing we need is oversight to be given to a state legislature, which has already proven that they don't care about us. I want to ask all three of you, what do you think this is about? Um, those who are pro-life would say this is about pro-life. But when I hear pro-life, I wonder wh whose life are they thinking about? What are your thoughts about the pro-life movement, the pro-choice movement over this and um, the final say resting in the Supreme Court? Let me, let me start with you, um, Misha. I think when we think about the pro-life movement, what happens is we take the agency and choice away from the person who will be carrying or choosing to carry a child to term. And when we shift that conversation from the person with the uterus to what is occurring in the uterus, we completely take away the agency of that human that deserves the fundamental right to make a decision onto what will happen to their body. When you talk about cons making considerations about, do I want to have a baby? Do I want to continue with a pregnancy? Roe v. Wade um, began, and, and they, some of the laws that they utilize in creating the law around Roe v. Wade stem from Griswold v. Connecticut, which was also about if a woman and her husband had the ability to, in private, make a decision about accessing birth control. And so this conversation about what is happening in a person's body and who can make that decision is uh, really and truly the conversation, and that is the um, insidiousness of the pro-choice movement in that we've, <clears throat> or not pro-choice, but pro-life movement in where we have moved the, uh, the conversation from what are we talking about? Are we talking about what is occurring in someone's body or are we talking about the actual person's ability to make a decision about their body? You know, and Sh thank you, Shemeka, you, you know, we're talking about pro-life, pro-choice. You had some thoughts about um, what our focus really needs to be on as we look th at this holistically. What are some of those thoughts? Yeah, very quickly, I just want to point out for the advocacy with pro-life that are also impacting this continued white supremacy issue over governing black bodies. When I think of this through this lens and the voices of the lived experience of people in community, more specifically black women, we don't feel like we have a choice. We don't feel like we have access. And so the same bodies and babies they're trying to protect in utero, they're also trying to shoot down, kill and criminalize by the time they turn 14, 15 and 16. And so I think we need to amplify what pro-life really is and what this really means and why is it any different than the choice we're making for the life, for the pro-life. The choice of that mother to have body autonomy is really important. And these advocates that are pro-life are forgetting they're in the same argument that are pushing for all lives matter instead of advocating for the safety and protection of these babies that they're trying to save in utero, but forget these same babies become teenagers that are now threats in our community, according to them. And I get concerned as well about what this opens up um, to um, scrutiny. 
if we're scrutinizing, if the Supreme Court is scrutinizing Roe v. Wade, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be targeting, say, Brown versus Board next. Lamisha, what are your thoughts about what this opens up? I absolutely agree. Um, it will continue. We saw the critical race theory right fight, and and we saw how that divide in our nation was instigated by a certain uh, political ideation. And so this is just again another example of what has already happened in history. And let's really, you know, you know how I am. I always ground with, with history a little bit. Is that at the same time that at the top of the 1900s that black doulas and midwives were actually outlawed was the same time that abortion laws were created in North Carolina. Now, we have to be very frank, right? We always get caught in this divide of, and I always say this because I step back because I'm not trying to be partisan, but sometimes our determination for our community is not determined by our community. It's determined by who can swing the votes, uh, what is the, <laughs> the political marginalization. But the reality is black infants in America are now more than twice as likely to die as white infants. And that's a racial disparity that is actually wider than in 1850, 15 years before the end of slavery, when most black women were considered chattel. So when we talk about what's already happened, it's going to continue to be exacerbated. The deficit is going to continue to deepen, but we have to be very real. If we're going to talk about an intergenerational, interracial movement, we have to make sure that black women are at the forefront of policies that we've never been at the forefront. And Roe v. Wade just creates another highlight on the disparities that has been facing our communities for years when we should have, to Shemeka's point, more access to health care, more access to options and support, whether we we determine, right, our children going to full term, whatever that may mean, we need to make sure we have security, and that is provisions on the state level that is in addition to Roe v. Wade. Lamisha Whittington, Nisha Williams, and uh, Shemeca Stewart-Isaacs, thank you three for your insights and for your commentary. I want to thank today's guests for joining us today, and we invite you to engage with us on Twitter or Instagram using the hashtag Black Issues Forum. You can also find our full episodes on pbsnc.org slash Black Issues Forum or listen at any time on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. For Black Issues Forum, I'm Deborah Holt-Noel. Thanks for watching. through the financial contributions of viewers like you who invite you to join them in supporting PBSNC.